Wild baby. Wild baby. Wild baby? Wild baby. Welcome back to another episode of Wild Baby. We're your hosts, Maddie Wong and Jay Bouquet, Colorado-based portrait photographers sharing our personal perspectives and journeys through societal expectations on beauty. Wild Baby is here to provide people of color, gender identity, and sexual expression, a safe community that will allow everyone to grow, learn, and heal. Disclaimer, we are not licensed therapists, sexologists, or claiming that we know everything. We are just a community who wants to have interesting conversations that will hopefully allow us to heal. Hey. <laughs> hey, wild babies. I hope everyone is doing well, is feeling inspired and adventurous and a little risky today. <laughs> I couldn't have asked for a better person, one of my greatest inspirations in my circle of people kick-ass artist, entrepreneur, and all-around human being, it's your one, <laughs> it's your only, Lucin Kaplan. Here we go, baby. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here and uh, get to chat it up with uh, your amazing co-hosts, Maddie and Jay from Wild Baby. Jay is one of my absolute best friends, and I, it was just no question when she asked to interview me. I could not say no. No chance. That's cute. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Are we ready? Yeah, let's get into this. Okay. So, listen, care to tell our community a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah. So, I am... I guess the role that I kind of introduce myself now as is a freelance NFT artist. Um, I do a lot, though. I've been an artist my entire life. Uh, when people ask me, like, so how would you get into art? Especially guys when they're hitting on me, like, so when did you learn how to draw? I'm just like, my guy, <laughs> I don't know my life without art. I really don't know my life without art. I started taking art classes when I was like five years old. It was my it was what I would what I would do for camp. Um so then fast forward through high school, uh, I won a bunch of awards for my medium I, in pantyhose. I draw portraits out of pantyhose. And that was kind of my like entrance into my art career. Uh, and then fast forward a little more, got into, I've, you know, have always used basically every medium just through my life and experimentally uh, and got serious about painting, eventually got serious about digital art. Uh, and now that's kind of where I jump back between is digital art and uh, paintings. So, you know, I'm an independent artist alone. I have a few collections out. Um, and then I also now since uh, 2020, I've been engaged pretty deep in the NFT community and the NFT space. And so they go hand in hand. And also my love for for digital art became a huge asset in that space. And so now I have my own personal projects and then I also work um, creating uh, art for other companies as well for their NFT projects uh, digitally. So um, on a personal note, though, my mission is to dismantle the culture of femme objectification within the male gaze. Uh, and then that takes it a little further with dismantling toxic masculinity um, through ecofeminist art 
and so on and so forth. It's uh, a lot, all of my work is revolved around feminist theory for my personal collections. Uh, and then beyond that, um, you know, do freelance stuff. And uh, I do event planning and things as well. I host Twitter spaces for NF for the NFT community uh, also, which is a whole other conversation. Uh, but, you know, I guess the best way to put it is I'm very freelancey in the field. Uh, so. <laughs> we get it. We get it. You know how it goes <laughs> as photographers. <laughs> exactly. I would like you to go back and touch a little bit on your definition of either the male gaze and how that's kind of been incorporated in your work or toxic masculinity. Like they're both super important. And what's your reasoning? Why, why, what is your definition here? Okay. So I'm going to break it up into a couple parts. Um, toxic masculinity is kind of like the umbrella. The way that I see it, it's the umbrella of literally all harm in the world. Um, and we can funnel that down to like individual aspects Toxic masculinity is not necessarily that something is that is gendered. However, in the patriarchal society that we live in and we exist in, and it's everything that we know uh, and everything that the people around us know, um, the patriarchy actually breeds toxic masculinity. Um, and it's embedded very naturally uh, within more so within uh, men. You know, and just because that's what they have been taught. Now, myself as a, as a woman, I also can tap into my own version of toxic masculinity as well. The qualities of toxic masculinity are not um, exclusive to the male gender. However, um, it's where it it thrives uh, because of the society, because of the patriarchal society that we live in. Uh, so these traits can include um, the best way to describe it is like something that's like penetrative or insertive. Uh, and so um, to make something really simple, a toxic masculine thing that I can do sometimes is interrupt people. And, you know, thankfully, it's something that I catch myself on. But if you like really often men like to cut off women and I wonder why, you know, it's like it, it all. Um, and that's just one of the very many examples uh, of like how that actually perpetuates in everyday life. And so if you think about it on a, on an energetic level, it's something that's like insertive, it's penetrative. It's um, it's something that actually uh, like overpowers and dominates a space. Uh, whether that be in a conversation or like on a societal level, it, it's literally it's what happens in war. I mean, colonization, like you name it. Right. It's just this dominance. And so um, then on the flip side of that, there is toxic femininity as well. I'm not going to get too deep into that, but um, there is definitely the, the flip side of that. Uh, and so then to tap into uh, the definition of the male gaze, the male gaze is something that breeds toxic masculinity. The male gaze is something that the patriarchy has actually cultivated over time based off of pop culture, really, and the way that our now patri modern patriarchal, contemporary patriarchal society has um, been fostered over time through uh, it, the lens of the men, like the men, and just through the lens of the patriarchy, that is the male gaze. 
through the lens of toxic masculinity per se, uh, because this would include, um, you know, when you think of like movies, this is like feminist theory 101, right? Um, when you are looking at like old school movies, how are the women or not even old school, even up to today, how are the women um, like hypersexualized and objectified in the spaces where it's like, like superheroes, for example, like why do the women on the on the covers for the cover art of these movies or whatever have to have like their tits out and like has to be the super provocative um, like I don't even want to necessarily say provocative, but like minimal clothing that's not going to protect them from something crazy, you know, whereas like then you see like Iron Man has all this fucking armor like what or Batman or whatever, you know, and they, you just see a little cut with them too, but it's not as sexualized as it is with women. And so it, you can see that on, like I said, like movie cover art is like really obvious and it's, it kind of is like a slap across the face. Uh, but then that also, and that's just one way that the male gaze perpetuates in today's uh, patriarchal society. But then you can look at how that actually plays forth in um, like just fashion you know, and luckily, and thank God we are at a point in our society uh, to actually dismantle this like on a on a greater scale, which is really cool to witness the, the, these movements happening. Um, but, you know, there's a standard. There's a standard of like straight, skinny, like maybe even blonde, blue eyes or like tan or like, you know, whatever it might be, white, you know, of like how these women should be and you back in you know probably I don't know what like 80s it would be like big boobs small waist like small butt Mm -hmm. and then over time now actually we're starting to see these like big boobs no waist big butt how is that even natural it's not (laughs) it's it's not it's not physically possible (laughs) right I mean for some very lucky people it it can happen but the it, it has become such a standard for what it's for it's for the male gaze Mm. It's for the, that appeal for men. Yeah. So I love how you touched on toxic masculinity affecting the greater community in a sense, because I've only really heard it in perspectives aside from yours um, as almost an attack at like the male community. And But you mentioned how we are also, because of the you know, social standards for how men should show up, we then reacted based off of those. So you communicating before or to interrupt a man because a man has done that to us um, shows up the same. It's just interesting. I've never really thought to think of like, oh my gosh, I'm also reacting in ways because of toxic masculinity. In addition, Maddie and I were talking about this recently. Yes. (laughs) About, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, she knows. Um, About the male gaze and how much it's affected people of color in the community. And that's why, and you know, we have indigenous missing women um, and the Asian community, which is still heavily being targeted against, is because of that sexualization of people of color. And so, we're having so many missing people recently and should we talk about it? No, (laughs) but yeah, so let's 
But like, yeah, I, talk I totally about agree. it. Because like, not with the indigenous is the missing women. With Asian is the yellow fever. Mm. Um, it's it does sound bad, but like with me and my husband, he does find Asian women attractive and. For whatever reason, ever since he was a little boy, he's like, I want to marry a Chinese girl. It's always been like that. I don't think necessarily it's that yellow fever, but maybe it is. Like sometimes I kind of think about it. I was like, does he have that yellow fever? So like we would talk about how, okay, babe, before you met me, what kind of porn would you watch? And he would tell me I would watch Asian porn. And then I was like, okay. But I don't make that type that type of noise. Like when we get intimate, when we have sex, I don't make the noises that these women would portray in porn. And I was like, does that turn you on? And he was like, surprisingly not. And I was like, okay. So like I kind of internalized, okay, does he have yellow fever? <laughs> you know? That's really interesting. I I did some live streaming uh, for a Singapore-based app for during the pandemic. Um, and there was a filter that we would put on, like it, it was embedded within the app. It was called Bego. Uh, and I ended up, long story short, I ended up being like one of the top streamers on the app for like three months straight, which was really, really uh scary actually mm -hmm. um <laughs> i had like oh basically overnight like 180,000 followers and one of the things that always tripped me out was there was a filter that you could switch on um or a couple different filters that you could switch on for the camera when streaming and the way that it would change it would morph my face and my um like it my everything it was so incredibly fetishizing. And now to, I, there were days when I would not use that filter and I would not get as many views or like any, as much interaction as I did without the filter. And I know it leaned a lot on the yellow fever. Uh, and which was really fascinating to witness as somebody who's like, you know, I have no association with, with that culture at all, other than just me showing up in this Singapore based app. Um, and having to deal with people worldwide who then I actually was able to like tap into, um, it was all optics, right? Like how people like really did fetishize different images and body types and what stereotypes came into play with that. And then literally based off of these filters, how could I like actually change the way that I look to appeal to whoever's in the audience based off of their fetishes? So I'm not I'm not at all saying that that's a good thing. Um, but for to witness that on my side, to have to like actually alter who I was and to see what then I, I um, based off of that male gaze and that culture's male gaze. And, and I say that culture as in like it was worldwide. It's not even just based in Singapore, but there was a, a really big um I don't even know where everybody was from. There was just a really big Asian community within that in the audience. And it was mostly, it was all men. I don't even want to say mostly men. It was all men. Um, it was fascinating. Wow. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so there's a lot there. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot I, to unpack within that. <laughs> I think Jay um, another conversation. I know. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I don't want to spill out facts. Like I, I would like to have notes specifically on, you know, those facts. And I did not bring them up because I didn't know we we're gonna have this conversation. So but um, You can add them later. You can add yeah, them later. Okay, cool. So, <laughs> So with like the missing Indigenous women, what I wonder and I see almost as uh, repetition in this community that we're facing with like minorities in general, and and that could even be expanded to women uh, or identifying women or the trans community, non-binary. Like I, I have a feeling there's a repetition with this based off of what happened to the Indigenous communities of similar to that hate that sexualization, the fetishization, and then that control of, I have my more power than you. And then, you know, we end up resulting to mass rape. We have um, missing women who are very much likely murdered and then disappear. Well, now we're seeing that with the Asian community of Asian hate and people getting beat up on the streets. You know, they're instilling this sense of power and what's going to happen next. Like that, that genuinely terrifies me. And, um, you know, we see that in the trans community as well, like black women, same exact thing. Right. And so shit's really fucked up and just to get real serious. <laughs> I think it generally happens in other places too. Like when I was living in Indonesia, I remember we had a huge riot. Um, I was six years old. And the main the main point of the riot is because Chinese Indone- Chinese Indonesians are seen a lot more successful than native Indonesian. And there's a lot of corruption happening. So they really were targeting Chinese immigrants that were in Indonesia. Um, I don't really remember a lot, but I remember my mom, she was, my mom was pregnant. She was huge. And my mom came in the room. My nanny, my sister and I were in the room. And my mom was like, I need you to grab this. It's a purse full of our passports. We were ready to book it. We were going to we were going to fly anywhere outside of Indonesia. And I just all I could hear outside was people banging, like people shouting, screaming. Not until later, once I'm a lot older, that I found out that that was the point where a lot of Chinese women were raped and murdered by native Indonesians and it was, yeah, it was scary because I didn't think it was about targeting the Chinese immigrants in Indonesia. I thought it was just a riot, you know, and no, it was it was scary for me. And I don't know, like talking about this kind of reminds me of that. And I do think that also tie into how. Like power can instill that. Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. It's wild because it's based off of these um, sexual threats and what in, in the places where we are the most vulnerable. And 
personally, like I want to do everything in my power to like to dismantle those aspects. Just because we are vulnerable doesn't mean that we need to be taken advantage of. Um, even on the flip side, just because maybe somebody is seeing us enjoy ourselves and being in a moment of like joy or like personal pleasure or whatever that might look like, doesn't mean that we're even vulnerable, but our bodies are. And that is the most terrifying thing about having a vagina, about having like this place where someone can can destroy everything that we know and and enter a place that's most sacred to us um which is why for me on the most basic level i within through my artwork and through all this you know the stuff that i talk about and do it's like can we just let go of catcalling alone can we just let go and like when we really think about like how threatening that can feel for us in itself because this is our history maybe for an individual person like maddie and they and you actually have memories of this of these experiences of like of being targeted or you know it's just like simply walking down the street whoever whoever might be passing like, just because I'm a woman or I look like a woman or, you know, like whatever it might be, it it's nobody else understands. And men and cis men in particular don't understand what it's like to have that transgenerational trauma within our own body to be completely fearful when somebody just tells us that we're hot. And what that brings up. And what's even shitty with that is that even if you respond to those comments, I know personally, I still get the fear of, oh shit, what if he reacts badly to this? Yeah. Will this progress the situation? And never to a point where it's physically harmed me, thank goodness. But Definitely. Often it's very like they end up being super reactive with me as well. And that's equally or that's just terrifying, that whole situation. Yes. I was in Miami uh, just this past year for Art Basel and I was walking on that. Um, just like the I don't it's not it's not called the boardwalk. Um, I'm I'm from like I'm thinking like Jersey, but like <laughs> it's it's like that, like the sidewalk that's kind of off of the off of the beach a little bit and you go in and it just is a long strip. Uh, I was walking on that. I had realized I had to fucking walk two miles in shoes that I was not prepared to walk in um, because the Ubers were just way too expensive. And uh, there was like, I was just because of that alone. And I had to walk so far unprepared. And I was like, had my like, hand me down Louis Vuitton bag like I literally just felt like a target right I felt like a walking target now thankfully it was during Art Basel and there was a lot of like beautiful women around me to where I actually felt like I blended in in the sense of like I didn't stand out as a target um however there was a point where there were two women walking uh probably about like 20 feet in front of me 
I was walking behind. I mean, I was terrified. I had like my backpack, like in front of me, this, like this stupidly nice bag in front of me. And I was like holding it like this walking down the street, like, and just literally like trying to just, but I was like, kind of, I had to make myself look intimidating in one way or another while also feeling like a target. And so there were these two women about 20 feet in front of me. I was walking like this, just like trying to really mind my own business and, but also maintain that, like, uh, like trying to make myself look good. Um, and what like intimidating and these men cat called the women in front of me and then saw me like, Hey, like ladies, like, what are you doing tonight or something like whatever. And I, and then he's like, Oh, you too. What are you doing? And I, I turned around, I was like, go fuck yourself. Like in the most like strong way that I possibly could. And it escalated really quickly to the point where he was like, I'm going to like rape you and fuck you up the ass. Like all oh like gosh. crazy. Like it was, and that was just a part of it. Like it was, and it, the bodily response that I had was like terrified because at the end of the day, if he really wanted to, he could come over to me, pounce on me. And that would, that would be everything that he said would be what would and could happen really like realistically i'm not somebody who's necessarily strong i have like i'm like a, i'm like i have like a thicker body and so i feel like i can make myself look more intimidating than i actually am but if it really came down to it i only have such few tools to actually defend myself um if somebody who's actually like has strength could overpower me and do all of those horrible things and this is with a mil- people around this is with people and i know i did not think that i would get that kind of response by replying back with people around and no one said anything. None of the men around me stood up for me. None of nothing. And it, it, I was scared. I was genuinely scared. And so I just walked as quickly as I could and just tried, like literally just kept saying like, just go fuck yourself. Like you wouldn't do shit. Like I was just trying to be, it was the first time where I actually responded. Um, I don't want to say like to see what happens, but in a space where like, because there were people around, I felt like I could. But I would never respond if there wasn't anybody around. Right. But granted, I would also have like my pepper spray probably too and would feel a little bit more protected. But it's wild what happens when we do say like, go fuck yourself. I don't belong to you. Like, you're not going to do shit. And, and the things that they say just because they want to just remind us that the patriarchy thrives that is so fucked up but like i i I, 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 oh my god like (laughs) i i'm 411 so i know what it feels like to have to make myself look intimidating to have look to have to make myself look like i'm the bodyguard of the group because i've done it for so long um because i've always been the smallest in class I used to get bullied. So instead of me getting bullied, I ended up being the bully because I don't want people to bully me because I'm the smallest in class. So when I was growing up in my high school, people are actually scared of me because I had a temper. I'm not afraid to 
talk back to my teachers. I'm not afraid to, you know, act like, oh, I'm going to fuck you up because I had to do it. And in that sense, it kind of carried over now to my adulthood. Like when we go out clubbing, if guys came over to my cousins, I'll be like, fuck yourself, you know, get the fuck away from us. And like, I don't like, I don't care if like my cousins are drunk or whatever. I'll be like, no, I got you. I'll take care of you, even though I'm drunk myself. But <laughs> we don't actually know how this is going to go, but I'm just right, going to put exactly. this out there anyways. <laughs> I will fuck you up. I don't know how, but I will fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, I know that. Be- I have I have a similar, like, I have parallels Attack. in that, too. I know that. Yeah, it's, it's so crazy how... Um, people don't even think, and men in particular, don't even think that this is like they don't even know that this is our experience they don't know that this is what we have to think about and what we've been conditioned to think like you know you said you you made yourself like tough at a young age and to actually make yourself intimidating um when in reality like you know could you have fucked somebody up do you think you could have yeah see, like (laughs) (laughs) totally i remember I'm a zombie. I probably cry. I'm I'm crying. So when I was ten years old, um, starting at ten years old until about like thirteen, boys made it a game to slap my butt uh, and rack up points. So this was every single day. I I had um, and so by the time I hit um, twelve, I started like throwing punches to guys but just punching them in the stomach (laughs) and I literally was like then also and not even not in response to the slap to the butt slapping but like just randomly I'd be like hey what's going on (laughs) and like (laughs) but then they would still play this fucking game and so um you know, I actually had just recently met up with somebody from high school. I, I who who I actually am friends with, um, one of the guys who was played a part in this game, and he, I told him like how badly that impacted me. But he was confused because I um, befriended everybody. That's literally how I made my friends, and that's how I how I um. That's I I learned how to manipulate men through as as a way to adapt to what was happening in my environment. I learned how to kick in the highest gear of toxic femininity, which is all manipulation and like like really work in that um, so that I could just survive. And then also on top of that, another layer is like, which I don't have to go too deep into, but, uh, for, um, uh, what is it? Um, uh, not uniform, but code. Ooh, my mom just brought me an Aperol spritz. Hi mom. mom. (laughs) Jay says hi. (laughs) Um, but on top of that, uh, the teachers were always sending me home to change my clothes. But they weren't doing anything about the boys who were actually causing the harm. And I just, you know, spoke to my friend about this literally the other day. He's like, wow, I had no idea that that was also on top of all that. That was your experience. And he apologized and it was really healing. But he was like, 
you love he there was one moment where he was like but you loved it you loved it I'm like I made it look like I liked it so that you wouldn't get a rise out of it I made it look like I it was all like a way to adapt it was a, literally a survival technique um so yeah I did something very similar in that aspect of punching people uh I grew up with brothers though too but I with their perspective my mom's perspective with me seeing I'm a very observant person so I'm I'm very much watching how women are being treated and how they are reacting to guys and what kind of feels like it's stimulating I'm very aware of that and I was like that's not happening to me no so baggy clothes you know just keeping it low and and when I was excited I was just trying to be silly and like fake it till I make it so yeah that adaption of yeah when you when you touched me I I'm not going to just say fuck off and get in trouble I'm going to just laugh and say don't do that again and then pop so I I definitely get that it's stupid that for me I felt like I always had to dumb down my femininity and dumb down how I stood out to people. And I sometimes I still carry that same exact perspective. Like you both know I my clothing, my wardrobe, it's now starting to get a little exciting. Um, but no, I very much was, it's not happening to me. Guys are going to look at me as the tomboy, but guys are going to be intimidated to, by me. I will fuck somebody up. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I feel like I'm entering a space where I'm flipping that and Mm. going from then as a kid kind of wanting to lean into it to manipulate versus now like having to having to check my own toxic femininity and I don't think that this is that that's not your case at all but like I'm wearing more sweatpants and sweatshirts and like baggy clothes than I ever have to so much to the point where like I don't feel like manipulating manipulating you guys right now. Like, I don't feel safe to do that also because of the work that I'm doing to try to dismantle, like, what is toxic within tox- within masculinity and femininity. But I'm finding myself, like, I don't like wearing dresses like I used to. And I don't like, I as there was a point where it's like, I didn't mind the attention because I knew how to work it and I knew how to flip it in spaces where I was able to feel safe. But now in the society that we exist in, as um, I'm 25, I don't, there's no, I don't at all feel safe in the environments that I'm in. Um, I, and especially when I moved to LA, I was like, I don't, I'm not even going to mess with it. I'm not even going to mess with it. But then when I lived in Boulder, I would, it's a little different because I, it was, it was a place where I felt safe. Um, But like, you know, I'm not even just, I want people to think that I'm a guy, <laughs> like, honestly, at the end of the day, um, in public, and then, you know, be able to show up and show out uh, when I can. But it's interesting that, like, that flip that happens, no matter whether it's one way or the other, it's like, we have to then, like, reintegrate our femininity, or, like, reintegrate, like, the masculinity so that we can just simply exist in society, because of, like literally just to tie it all back it's like it's just the male gaze at play that's messing with us exactly. it all comes down to that one thing 
Gotta get rid of that. <laughs> right. But then I will also say there are times where I've been in like my biggest, baggiest, like clothes, like, and it, you know, I'm not saying there's in no way, like clothes don't mean that you're asking for it or anything. It's just based, like, you know, I know that I'm going to get more attention when I, when I'm feeling good and what I'm wearing. That's I, I know, like, I think that's it. It's not even necessarily like, I know I'm going to get more attention when I'm wearing these, like these kind of clothes. Like, no, like when I, when You're I just feel hyper-aware. good. Yeah. When I feel good, I get more attention. And when we are, when I'm in my pleasure, I, I get more attention. And so fashion is one of those ways that I express, um, I express myself and it, it does bring me a lot of joy and a lot of pleasure. And so when I'm like, when I'm in a, like, you know, there've been times where I'm in the airport, literally wearing my absolute baggiest clothes and I'm getting asked out by somebody who really should not like by like my, uh, my Uber driver. And it's like that in itself. It's just like, my guy, like, do you understand how actually threatening this is? Like you're literally driving, you're, in, you're, you're in control of where I go right now. And you're asking me on a date. Well, I'm just trying to go to the airport. I could go missing right now and nobody would really know. But also, I'm in absolute no way. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, there. there's no consent here. Zero. I'm not even, it's just wild to me, like in the circumstances and when you really play back, like, what was I wearing? What gave this person permission to actually like ask me these things about myself? I don't know. There's a lot. I really put that perspective, like all those women that's been raped. Oh yeah, no, they're asking for it because they're wearing this, 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 and that. They're wearing super revealing clothes. But that's the thing. Like you don't have to wear super revealing clothes to get raped. Like you could look like a troll and you could still get the possibility of getting raped. And that's, again, it comes back to men trying to show you we have power over you. Like, we don't care if we know you, we have power over your body. And that, I, uh, yeah, we need to really break that. Um, and I do feel like it all comes down to now us as a generation who have kids, we need to teach our kids, we need to teach our sons that you have to respect other people's bodies. Mm. You have to respect your body, but you also have to respect other people's bodies. Just because you think you like that person doesn't mean that you have control over that person's being. And that is something that we're also trying to teach my daughter. Like if anybody try to hurt you, you have to come to us. If anybody try to tell you something, you have to come to us. But yeah, it's, I would love to see better sex education in schools on the most basic level, like bring it, like start sex education at, as to make it a fucking curriculum at, from day one at school. And sex education doesn't necessarily have to be like, even talk about the birds and the bees, right? It could literally just be like the most basic level of like, even um, just for like LGBTQ equality in in the family space, like describing what that looks like and like talking, you know, some people can have this kind of family. Some people can have that kind of family. And then, you know, like 
when you see a girl, like, and if you like her, like, you know, what, what do you say then? Because that stuff starts young. Yeah. It does. It's so what's, basic. What's interesting about sexual ed and the education system uh, heavily with parents, it's that idea that they're just going to be talking about sex and sex positions and all of the gruesome aspects about sex. First off, my sex education was, <laughs> and I yeah. don't think I'd want it to be, right? Right. That's okay. So what's ridiculous about this ban is people are saying no to gay sex or queer sex. And you're talking about the band in Florida that don't correct, say gay that, uh -huh. Yes. Um, yeah. So like what's ridiculous is that sorry, what's ridiculous is that why do you automatically assume that we're going to start talking about sexual positions within the queer community when we didn't even do that for heterosexuals yeah. and again no student no person wants to be in that situation where they are talking about sex but I think everyone would love to have that open and honest communication about how does that show up how do you respond? So it's just frustrating. It's simple. It's so freaking simple. And it blows my mind that anyone would have, like, that anyone would even push back on that. But, you know, that's not my, that's obviously, I don't align with whatever political agenda that is, that's a part of, obviously. And so it's wild that people have actually been conditioned throughout their life to believe that these things are valid it doesn't make any sense but yeah. hey. <laughs> hey but it's wild too where at the end of the day what does it all funnel down to is toxic masculinity yeah so if we look at like yeah. all of the violence <laughs> right it's it's political and yeah. it mm -hmm. runs really deep in a lot of areas and that is just one of the more obvious areas that toxic masculinity thrives and where the patriarchy then perpetuates what the male gaze does to um does to the lgbtq community and the harm that that is now also set forth legally in a bill so hmm. whereas like then also i mean we all watched euphoria um, <laughs> we also know that a lot of these men who are perpetuating all of this bullshit are probably closeted and they don't know how to express themselves. But hey, maybe if they had proper sex education, they would know that all of this is normal and they don't have to perpetuate this. And we wouldn't have this problem to begin mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. It's like just this constant cycle. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Hey, wild babies, we're going to have to come to an end here. This episode has been so revealing, intimate, and raw for all of us, so we hope that it has given you any sense of clarity, comfort, and or a good laugh today. Part two with Lucin is coming out next week. We're diving into Lucin's life as an artist, imposter syndrome, and an incredible outlook on a container that Lucin implements into her art that I believe can easily be used day to day. As always, thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Today's affirmation is, I won't be remembered as a woman who keeps her mouth shut. I'm okay with that. Stay safe. Stay sexy. Wild, Wild baby. baby.
Oh, we're so cute. <laughs> You like your cupcakes and sprinkles? Yeah. What that else? Was, that was a good cupcake. <laughs>